Hey there. Welcome to the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. And now this is the podcast where I get to sit down with interesting people doing fascinating things who inspire me and hopefully you guys to get out of our comfort zones because of their actions or because of their ideas. Today, I was lucky enough to sit down with Ben Warren, one of New Zealand's leading uh, nutritionists and holistic health expert. Um, I've been on my own health journey over the last couple of years and kind of changed my approach to what I'm doing health-wise a wee bit. Um, and I heard Ben on a podcast uh, probably last year, actually, and, and all the stuff that he was talking about really resonated with me. So it was awesome to have an opportunity to sit down uh, and have a chat through things today. So this episode starts off actually a little bit differently. Uh, I was testing the sound levels out just to kind of see what they looked like um, and was just going to delete that part. But actually it was all quite interesting. So I've decided to leave it in there. Because what we're talking about is Ben's PhD that he's currently doing about micronutrients and mental health. And I thought that might be an, an interesting discussion for you guys. Um, and once we've kind of gone through that, Ben is currently on a What's Your Health Story tour around New Zealand, talking to people about their health story and, and how they can change that for the better. So we hear about his health story um, and how he became passionate about nutrition and health. Um, obsessed might be a, a good word to use there as well. Ben freely admits that he's he's pretty hardcore on this area. So uh, you'll definitely hear that passion coming through as he, as he talks about this today. We talk about his quest for knowledge. He routinely sits down and, and reads 10 research articles a day, which is... Again, reasonably hardcore. We chat about lifestyle diseases, um, the drivers of them in this day and age, and how we can go about reducing the symptoms and reducing the burden. We talk about optimizing your health, whether that is as an elite athlete or whether you're sitting down driving a desk all day. Um, you can you can optimize your health regardless. We talk about what his ideal healthy week looks like and what he needs to incorporate into that uh, to be the healthiest version of himself. He gives us a few tips as well in regards, if you're just starting out on your health journey, uh, a couple of starting blocks to, to kind of put in place and, and things to test out to start with. He also shares with us his perspectives on failure, which I found really interesting, um, and also the importance of accountability as well when you set out to do something. So Ben is is all about kind of individualized health. It's not a it's not a one size fits all model that uh, he is um, he's talking about, which is is really fascinating and something that I really resonate with as well. Um, because I think if you've listened to previous podcasts, I think you may have heard us talking population-based statistics are fantastic for the population, but don't always apply that well when you're looking at individual situations. Um, I really enjoyed 
having a chat with Ben and we barely scraped the surface of, of his knowledge. So hopefully at some point I'll get another chance to sit down and, and have a chat with him. Um, and, uh, you guys will get a, get a chance to have a listen to that. Hopefully that you find this helpful in regards to your health story. If you do, make sure to share it out so that uh, other people get a chance to as well. But thanks for taking the time to sit down and get uncomfortable with me and Ben today. Yeah. That you, you go out and party, then you eat shit food as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is, uh, mm. But and you can, uh, you can get away with that. Yeah, you can't eat. Yeah, yeah. But also, yeah. you kind of, I think you get into that spot as well where you're doing, you're doing that, and then your body just gets used to it. So yeah. You're used to feeling like that, and then you don't know any better until you until you stop. Well, this is true. Yeah, you do. That's, that's so true that people, and that's the biggest thing that we deal with with, with people, with the public, is, is that they just get used to feeling like shit. Yeah. And and they think that that's normal. And then, they, you know, they have health issues and they go to the doctor and the doctor's just like, oh, we're well, getting old. And, it, and it's like, no, that's not it. That's not it. It's like your, your, your organ systems aren't working. Your enzyme pathways are uh, deficient. Um, you, you know, so your metabolic pathways are rate limited because of because of nutrition. And and so yeah, one of the things that we try and do is is really get people to feel you know, and the easiest way to do that is giving them products, but to actually have them then feel shit. I can actually feel this much better, and and then kind of go from there. So um, mm. you know, and then, and then hopefully that's the momentum that they they get momentum in their life, which then has them has them go forward. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of that initial switch flicking on, isn't it? And uh, yeah. And- having a, a desire to change and then also kind of having the having seeing those kind of early wins yeah yeah you've got to get those early wins otherwise it's otherwise yeah. people don't get you, know, you can on board trust with it. in the process for so long before you start to see yeah. see things happen. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, because I remember we were talking about that. That you were telling me about the the gloves and things like that, that cold yeah, gloves and things yeah, like that for training and recovery and what's uh, what's happening from that point of view at the moment and uh, how that's how that's looking. And I think, well, yeah, there's just some real interesting stuff that's coming out about that. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It's crazy, eh? Hey? It's crazy. Yeah, you're um, doing your master. Oh, PhD. PhD. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Um, I did masters a number of years ago in um, nutrition. So I'm doing a PhD in, in mental health and micronutrients. So I'm looking at a uh, a urinary metabolite that 
Um, looks like it's produced uh, by anaerobic bacteria in the gut, but it binds the zinc and B6, and, and it may, means that you, you excrete all your zinc and B6, so you become massively zinc and B6 deficient, and then that's heavily associated with mental uh, mental health issues, particularly anxiety, uh, and at, at broad end, schizophrenia, um, at the extreme end. And so, yeah, well, nobody's ever done any... Um, so, so initially, we want to... Um, Real, no, nobody's done any biochemistry of of on the molecule since 1976, and that was why we, why one of the top biochemists in the world back then. So we're going to review the biochemistry based on 2017, mm-hmm. and so because the technology has moved a lot f- further forward with like mass spectrometry and things like that. So um, so we're going to do that, and then I'm going to do a, a study where double blind controlled experiment where we basically pull people in, isolate people who have this molecule. The high excretors of is, is called uh, pyroles, mm-hmm. high excretor of this pyrrole, uh, and then obviously measure the zinc and B6 as much as we can, and then look at a treatment group. And so we'll give them yeah. a high dose zinc and B6. And theoretically, you should be able to turn off anxiety within a week. Literally, you can just turn it off. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, the interesting thing about the biochemistry of this molecule is that nobody really knows where it comes from mm-hmm. within the body because that can come from a number of places and it really is most likely it's looking like it's just a measure of oxidative stress so anything that any kind of stress changes the gut biome and then the gut the change in the gut biome increases this metabolite which then binds zinc and b6 which then basically causes the system to crash yeah. and so um yeah it's kind of interesting so it's uh it's just an area for me that I've seen it a few times clinically and I was like, Ooh, what's going on here? And then when I actually looked at the research, I'm like, shit, there's actually not a lot of research on this. And, um, and so then I, I pitched it to Julia, who's, um, Julia Ruckley, she's the top person in the world, pretty much on micronutrients and mental health. So she runs the, um, mental health research lab down at Canterbury university. Yeah. And so I pitched it to her. I'm like, listen, nobody's doing this. Have I, have I do a PhD under you through this? And she's like, yeah, that sounds fun. And so, uh, so I'm sort of, Nine months in, yeah. yeah. That, that sounds really fascinating. How yeah. long is the process going to be? Ah, probably three to four years. Yeah. yeah, the quickest you can do it is three, and so um, yeah, it'll be three to four most likely. So um, yeah, I mean we're we're going just progressing now towards ethics and um, getting ethics approval for it, and and you've got to get MedSafe approval as well yeah. because the level of zinc we're using is um, a medication level, okay. uh, and so it's above twenty five milligrams a day. And uh, yeah, and then we've got to fundraise. So we've got to, it's going to cost one hundred sixty thousand to do the study, and so we've got to try and find one hundred sixty thousand uh, from somewhere, yeah. and it's got to be a clean source. So it can't yeah. be it can't be like from the industry. I mean, otherwise, be pure would probably be quite interested in funding it, but um, that's no good. Can't do that because then then it's uh, conflict of interests. Yeah, and yeah. so. Um, so yeah, we'll be applying for government grants and 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 stuff like that. So that when I look at it, that's going to take the longest is actually raising the money, and that's the bare minimum for me to do the study. How I'd want to do it probably cost a million, but that's like absolute bare minimum, hundred and sixty thousand. So, man, yeah, that's that's going to be a pretty big challenge actually as well as kind of raising that amount of funds with yeah, making sure that you keep the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just compromise the research completely, and and then so then it's um, so yeah, we'll see how we get on. So it's going to be all good. Yeah, all good. you started that process already. Yeah, we're, we're sort of like just just got to the so we just got sign off from the university on the project. So there's a the first 
six months is basically all the research. So uh, I sort of read, I think, uh, and, and I had to put a proposal in, which was like a 30-page proposal to the university, and that had like 588 references um, based on the project. And and so then that has to get, you know, all reviewed within the university and signed off. And so that's that's all signed off. And so now we've just progressed to the next step, which is then ethics and and um, and fundraising. So and then that that usually lasts six months that period, and then you roll into running the actual trial. Yeah. Uh, and I'm starting to buy in four weeks. We'll, we'll I'll spend a week down at the uh, biochem lab in Canterbury, and we'll we'll do some. But one of my advisors, one of the top biochemists in the country, and so I'll spend a week with him in the lab, and and we'll we'll see if we can um, see if we can. Um, isolate the molecule and and track the molecule and then look at the degradation of the mo- molecule and, and get some some parameters around it so we know exactly what we're what we're looking at yeah and uh yeah and and then kind of go from there so it's it's kind of fun and it's 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 different um yeah when i it's funny i've, I've always said oh my biochemistry is not strong and then i'm realizing it's actually pretty good and so it's <laughs> i've always said i oh, my biochemistry is not strong and then, and then and then we get into the process of, she's not too bad <laughs> what did you what did you think the biochemistry wasn't that strong um i don't know i don't know i just um i guess because i never i'm not traditionally trained in biochemistry and so yeah. because i'm not traditionally trained in it i just thought there's there's stuff there that i didn't know that i didn't know and therefore i didn't think it was very good but it's not until we actually start getting into it and you go oh actually you know i know a fair bit and then so even like last weekend i was at a, a medical conference in um Surface Paradise, and and there was the, the top um, the top practitioner doctor who uh, treats mental health issues with micronutrients. He was training eighty other GPs, mm-hmm. and um, and the funny thing is they've dumbed it down so massively for the GPs because the GPs know nothing about biochemistry, like nothing. You won't mm-hmm. like you just can't cannot believe how no, how nothing they know. And and literally, I was just sitting there going, "Well, this is ridiculous. Where's the biochemistry behind this?" And, and for me to be asking that question, I'm like, "Wow, I don't know." Yeah, yeah, I do actually. Yeah, I actually do know uh, more than I thought. And so, um, yeah, it's literally just because I'm not, um, you know, I've never done biochemistry at uni. Mm. No, and so that's why I thought it was weak, but obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's an interesting concept as well, actually, to, to talk about is that um, kind of our, our, our presupposed beliefs about sort of what we what we know mm. uh, based on kind of the letters that we have after our name, yeah, or the courses, that yeah, we've, the courses that we've done, and obviously that's sort of an objective marker of uh, knowing things, yeah. But often, with when you get those letters, it's sort of just a really Thing, it's, know, it, it really is. But yeah. Kind of, it's sort of what society's been telling us about hey, this is, uh, you, you need to have these letters before people will, yeah. re- will respect your knowledge and before you know anything. Yeah. You can actually know. Absolutely. Know. And it's even like, you know, PhD always seems like a, always for me, it was always like a crazy big thing. And it's like, I never really even considered doing one. It wasn't until I sort of got a master's and then had a master's for a few years and was like, oh, you know, maybe. And then when you actually look at it, it's it's not that much. It's, yeah, it's not that hard. It's not. It's not. It's no harder. Than, no harder than anything else you do in your life. Um, yeah, it's no harder than literally anything else. No harder than saying you want to run a marathon. It's just you, you just set the goal and then you start looking. at, Okay, what's it take to actually do it? And then when you know, and, and then you actually start looking at it, going, well, you know what. 
this is achievable. All I've got to do is, you know, do this today and set your goals and, and, and start, you know, making sure you, you're doing the things on a daily level. And yeah, mm. and in a number of years' time, you're there. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. I mean, it's, it scares you if you just kind of look at the end game with it, but um, if you kind of focus on those, those process steps. Yeah, but it is, you know, um, I'm actually, yeah. yeah. They're just they're just numbers and letters. They're um they don't really for me. They don't yeah they I I you know the education bubble it, it it's a bubble mm-hmm. uh, it's a, it's a business model. I see that even with University of Canterbury is is yeah. is complete business model. Um yeah that that it, it's just numbers numbers game for them and and I I think going forward the education bubble is going to burst and and people are going to realise that you know what. I don't. I don't need a bachelor's of degree in business to go into business. Mm. You know, like yeah, yeah. It, it, you can you just go do it. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think the education system does need to change because I mean it hasn't changed for almost hundreds of years. Really, no. but I mean there's still. I think there's probably still room for kind of the professional degrees that are that are there for your your doctors and your lawyers and oh, yeah. uh, obviously physiotherapists and probably uh, nutritionists as well from a yeah. professional standpoint there's there's merit with with that stuff but yeah for a, a lot of other things kind of more of a almost an apprenticeship model yeah is, uh, yeah exactly make, make more more absolutely yeah absolutely mm, mm. That's, that's cool um so are we rolling yet? Oh, I've just been, I've been recording just to kind of see what the level is. Okay, cool. Like, but it's, uh, oh, we, can, we can keep that stuff or we can, uh, <coughs> or we can leave it out. Uh, but, I mean, what I was thinking that kind of a, a nice topic to start with, well, maybe start with, depending on where you yeah, yeah. leave that yeah. out, is uh, <clears throat> I mean, your, your tour at the moment sure. is uh, what's, your, what's your health story? Yeah. Um, so probably a nice first question for you is what has your health story been? Warren? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. Yeah, so my health story is an uh, interesting one, and and so um, I had asthma as a, as as a kid, and you didn't think, in, you know, don't think any thing about it. You just think, oh, you've got asthma, and you just deal with it. You know, you take your Ventolins and all that jazz. And um, I became a very good golfer uh, quite young, and uh, and got a un- university scholarship out of the UK to University of South Carolina to play golf and study experimental psychology. And so I was sort of, a, I guess, on this fast track to being a pro golfer and um, played at university and was, was pretty handy. Graduated, met my wife at university, and so she's a Kiwi, so I'm, I'm kind of like a souvenir from her OE <laughs> that she brought me back to New Zealand. Very thankful for that. Natural progression was to become a pro golfer, went went for my tour card, missed it by a shot. and then so, but, I, but even at university, I had a really bad back injury, and I was kind of managing my back. And I um, became a professional golf coach for a number of years while I was trying to get my back fixed. And I went on a course to learn about optimal joint mechanics of biomechanics for golf. And uh, about a third or fourth day of this course, a lady said to me, Ben, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I can see you've got a really bad back. And I was like, oh, yeah, how do you know that? And she's like, I can see you've got a twist in your pelvis, you've got a scoliosis in your spine, you've got one shoulder higher than the other. When you're swinging the golf club just then, your transverse abdominal muscles not firing at all. You've got you know, no support for your back. It, uh, it, I can see it's trashed. And I was, I was like, wow. Now, I knew most of that. I was working with you know good physio, uh, XL Black's physio and, and 
chiropractor and osteopath, massage therapist, all part of my team. And, um, and then she looked at me and she goes, Oh, it looks like it's driven by a food intolerance. It looks like it's dairy. And I was just like, what? You're like, what are you talking about? Cause nobody had ever said that potentially the food I was eating was driving my back problem. And, and I was like, well, first of all, how, how does, how does my, a food intolerance affect my back? And she's like, well, if you start shutting down organs like your small intestine, you've got shared nerve innovation through the spinal segments and you're going to, you're going to start shutting down your ability to recruit your abdominal core and abdominal wall muscles and pelvic floor. And I was like, huh? And then I'm like, well, what, what makes you think it's dairy? And she's like, well, you don't breathe very well through your nose and your head's migrated forward so you can breathe better through your mouth. And, and so, um, I was kind of blown away by that. And actually I had Sherman's disease. Um, so when the back side of your spine grows faster than your front. Uh, and so I had quite a decent kyphosis in the upper back. And, um, anyway, so I was like, well, surely there must be a test that I can take to tell me this. And she's like, oh, you want to do an IgG, IG, uh, IgG, IgA, ELISA test, which I did. And, uh, it came back that I was severely whey protein intolerant and I cut out dairy products and uh my back didn't get better straight away but within a few weeks my asthma disappeared like so i've had, had asthma you know pretty much as long as i could remember and it just disappeared and um and then my back started getting better and so i'd go see my physio and my chiro and i'd put my sacroiliac joint back in and it would hold and and it started getting better and and i was just like this this is nuts this is this is crazy how how, how food has such a powerful effect on how we feel and um and that was it literally my my wanting to hit a golf ball just turned off and so um it'd been many many years of hitting golf balls and and in that moment i was like i want to i want to learn more about this and so i, I literally decided i walked away from my uh career as a professional golf coach and, and a, as a golfer and and uh dedicated the next three years next three years of my life to retraining um in nutrition originally through the czech institute in california under uh, under Paul Check, and then you know, ended up getting a master's degree in nutrition, and obviously currently right now doing a PhD uh, in in micronutrients and mental health. And so it was it was literally uh, yeah I went ten years without hitting a golf ball pretty much, and uh, just last couple of years I'm I'm trying to play uh, trying to play once a month just to spend some time with my dad really. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been quite an incredible journey um, for my own health story, and and, and so it's very much. Um, yeah, it is a personal journey for me and it continues to the thing about your your health it's 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 always moving it's it's never uh it's never fixed you've never got it uh you know it's 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 very it's always moving so i do a lot of testing for myself and i'm i'm constantly um tweaking and refining and and looking to improve what i'm doing and um yeah it, it it's quite incredible um how it changes and and uh yeah it's kind of fun mm, yeah yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating story. Um, probably one thing that I, I want to know is uh, how's your golf swing now? Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. My golf swing now is, um, yeah, I mean, I can play golf now. I, I, I don't get a bad back. I haven't had, I haven't had back pain for maybe, I guess, probably 15 years. And so I can, you know, can squat and deadlift my body weight and, and I can, yeah, hit, hit golf balls and I don't get a bad back at all. Um, yeah, like I say. So golf swing right now is probably um, – technically, it's probably better than it's ever been um, because my biomechanics are better, but I haven't grooved it now. So, um, yeah, I actually I actually had a, a fault in my golf swing 
my whole career and um no, nobody really ever found i used to work with david ledbetter's right hand man back in the back in the late 90s in in, in florida and um he got the closest to finding this fault but then uh actually i, I went and saw uh Lydia Coe's uh, coach for yeah. work. Yeah. We were doing some work together and he was like, Oh, let me have a look at, look at your golf swing. So he had a quick look at my golf swing and he, he spotted the fault straight away. And, um, and so I've corrected that fault now, but the trouble is I now need to hit 10,000 golf balls, <laughs> uh, with that new, with that new pattern to, to own it. So at the moment I don't own it. So uh, it's a, it's a bit like a box of chocolates at the moment. You don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once, once a month probably. Yeah, it's it's a, pretty tough. Yeah. It's a hard game. Um, so it sounds like, I mean, it, it sounds like your kind of journey into what you're doing at the moment almost started with curiosity about your about yourself. And yeah. About, you know, what what effects nutrition was having on you, really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've always just been interested in performance of the human body, Chris. So it didn't matter whether it was, you know kicking a football up against the wall um, or doing the times table. I've just always been a kid that's been really into kind of doing things as well as possible. Uh, and so, you know, I, I did well academically at uni and, and um, I did well at golf. And so, yeah, it was, it's, it's always just coming from that. So I did uh, my undergrads in experimental psychology because I was very interested in the, the, uh, the psychology of, of peak performance. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I've always been into, into that. And so as soon as I, you know, found nutrition and found how, how huge an impact it has on the performance of the body and the mind, um, I was like, yeah, this, 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 this is really, this is something that I can really get hold of. And, um, and the, the crazy thing, as you know, Chris, is that the more you know about this field, the more you realize you don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah, for anyone who's got a passion in this area or enjoys reading, you'll just know that for everything, you know, for every one thing you learn, you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, there's another five things I, I've now got to research. Um, because yeah, it just, yeah. it just goes out. It's so, it's so broad. Does that frustrate you sometimes? I know for me that it, it- I mean, on that on process, the, the more you know, the more you realise you don't know and how much there still is out there. Yeah. Sometimes that, that frustrates me. And that, oh, like, yeah. Oh, man, I, it's just, I, I don't know if I have time to learn all this. I know. It's tough. It's really, uh, I, I agree completely. It's very frustrating. I mean, I'm fortunate now these days we've got a, We've got a clinical team of 21 be, uh, kind of like be behind me. So it's like having 21 researchers. And so they'll, they'll, they'll find the gold and then, and then kind of share it and bring it to me. And uh, I've got a full time researcher as well, full time uh, research assistant. Uh, and even then I still spend, um, ah, I don't know how much I, I, I would probably read, uh, maybe 10 research articles a day. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And, and, and the, there's so many knowledge is expanding in so many areas that um yeah it, it is frustrating you just sort of like um i guess at some point I, I think i will probably move to just researching the whole time um you know within the next probably five years um that literally i'll just be reading research articles the whole time and 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 l- building building the the picture of what it looks like um and then applying that clinically to people um and so but at at the moment uh at the moment i'm still enjoying educating people helping people there's still a massive need for people to know this information and so uh so i kind of my time split pretty much third 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 so third on research a third on educating like seminars and things like that and then a third clinically um so obviously i'm still uh, across all, all all of our all of our patients through the clinics 
and and so generally they only end up on my desk if if they're a difficult case and so you know uh but uh yeah it's it's pretty fun yeah yeah it sounds like it sounds like an interesting mix where at the moment um and uh, yeah obviously you'll have a bit more time with uh with learning in the next few years as well if you wanted to move into the research full time but there's uh, as you're saying this, the knowledge is expanding sort of exponentially mm. i mean you're never going to kind of keep up with it all um, with with that amount of research out there and all the stuff that's coming out, do you think that that is shifting people's perceptions of their own health? Because, I mean, at the moment, it seems like there is just uh, phenomenal amounts of sort of lifestyle diseases that are, yeah. that are occurring. Yeah, there is. And, and I was having a conversation the other day is, um, I don't know if you remember Billy T. James. Yeah. He was, yeah. So, I mean, when he unfortunately passed away at a young age, everyone was like, well, he was a pretty big dude. You can kind of see why it happened. Yeah. But you look at him now, uh, pictures of him, and then you look at the people on the street, and yeah, the vast majority of them are almost bigger than him. Yes. Yeah. It is a, it's a, it's a major problem. Yeah. It, it, it's... Um, the, the modern lifestyle diseases and, you know, people argue, people say, oh, we're living longer, but we're really only living longer. And that's a statistical uh, anomaly because it's just statistics is because, you know, um, people, you know, infant mortality now is really down because of, 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 you know, med- modern medicine, antibiotics. So people aren't dying of infections at a young age. So really it's once you take those two things out. Um, so a lot of people used to die very young and it used to bring down the, the age of the average age of the whole population, if that makes sense. Um, and so these days, I, I don't actually think we're living longer. I think, uh, you know, if, if you looked at, you know, once you get to say age 40, um, you know, how long do you then live from there? I don't think we're actually living any longer. I think, you know, potentially we could even be living shorter because of these modern lifestyle diseases. You know, we are, for me, we're in the biggest experiment of all time regarding our food. Our diet's changed more in the last hundred years than the millennia before that. Agriculture systems have changed more in the last hundred years. And we're seeing the results of that change. We're seeing, you know, things like autism go through the roof, allergies go through the roof. We're seeing, you know, these modern diseases like polymyalgia, fibromyalgia, which are literally just groups of symptoms. So if you tick a number of boxes, then you get diagnosed with this uh, condition. And, and, and so, yeah, for me, a lot of it is, is their lifestyle, modern lifestyle diseases. And, um, we know that they, uh, you can put them into remission and you can reverse a lot of these factors by, by improving your nutrition and, and by getting the organ systems working well. And, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very, it's a fun time to be doing what we do. Um, because you know, you get to help a lot of people. So it's, yeah, yeah it's really cool. I mean, with all this knowledge out that's out there, do you have any theories about why there are so many of these lifestyle diseases at the moment. Okay. Yeah. This knowledge, it seems like uh, there's the disparity between yeah. that knowledge and yeah. actually applying it. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, I think the number, you know, when we, for me, if I was to pick sort of the top few reasons, um, number first top reason would be in the Western world, we're eating too many simple processed carbohydrates for our genetics. 
And so, you know, we know that African tribesmen genetically were the best suited to eating carbohydrates of any people on the planet. And they were getting, um, you know, 80% of their calories from whole grains, the whole grain. They weren't eating any sugar. They weren't eating any processed grains that act on your body faster than sugar. And so, you know, and, and they were genetically the best suited to eating carbohydrates of any people on the planet. And so I think at the moment we're overwhelming our body's capacity to deal with, with, sugars within the blood glucose within the blood because of the foods we're eating and that's first reason and then the second reason i think is is we've had such a m- massive shift in our food quality that the nutrients aren't in the food anymore and so we're just not even though we're eating you know some fruits vegetables and meats we're not getting the, the micronutrients coming down through the food chain and so um and so people are coming becoming massively deficient of micronutrients why does that happen Number of reasons for that, you know, a, a whole bunch of reasons would be, you know, factors such as uh, mineral depleted soils. So, we're, you know, we're intensively stripping out the trace minerals. Farmers aren't getting paid enough money to put those trace minerals back into soil, and it's those trace minerals that are the essential cofactors for our, for our metabolic pathways. Um, it'll be nitrogen use. So, nitrogen use. Uh, when you put a lot of nitrogen on a plant, you'll lose up to ninety percent of the root structure. So, the plant's roots can no longer access the minerals within the soil through the mycorrhizae and the biome can be uh, modern food conveniences is that you know we can we can buy kiwi fruit year round mm-hmm. and 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 so you know obviously the older the fruit or the vegetable the less nutrition it has in it so they de- the nutrients degrade over time and so you know, i often ask people well, when is the when is the season for kiwi fruit and people can't tell me and the reason being is because they're just in the supermarket all year round. You can go there every day of the year and there's kiwi fruit. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously at some point they're probably nine, 10 months old. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, when we're not eating seasonally, we're not eating fresh, we're not eating local. And so that, yeah, there's, and then there's the effects on the, on the, the biota and, and the bacteria levels within our gut because of the foods we're eating, we're shifting these bacterial levels and then that's causing and driving a lot of problems for a lot of people. And so it's the actual, the quality of the foods in regards to the sugars, simple carbohydrates, grains, modern grains, hybridization of grains, and the lectin levels associated with them, the gluten levels associated with them. So it's the multifactorial. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds definitely like a complex, uh, complex problem. Yeah, it is. But it's not, having said that, it's not a, it's not a hard problem to solve. At the end of the day, it's coming back to, you know, eating, uh, eating, Good quality food as fresh as possible, and, and then in the modern world, you know, I, I believe that you've got to then really, you know, add in some extra nutritionals to pick up on what's missing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What what sort of extra nutritionals do you think? Um, <laughs> for for base levels, for most people, I recommend you know just a really high quality multivitamin. So that's you know you've got, that's got to be including your know, A, D, E, and K, your B vitamins. Um, and trace minerals and macro minerals, things like, you know, using your magnesium, your iodine, um, your selenium, and then, and then a high quality fish oil for omega threes to control inflammation. And so, so, you know, so essentially, you know, as a base, those two things, if you're deficient in vit- vitamin D, you can need more. If you're deficient in zinc, you can need more. But, um, but yeah, you do those two things. It's a pretty good start. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so with the, with the educational stuff that you're doing at the moment, Ben, um, are people pretty receptive to this message? They are. It's Chris. It's it's um, it's really interesting. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been sort of clinical practice for you know, 13, 14 years, something like that. And um, you know, when I started, I was I was talking about eating full fat diets and going gluten free really before before anyone knew about paleo and before anyone um, it really. N- you know, before gluten-free bread existed, really. And um, 
and but now it's tipped and it's it's just becoming easier and easier so uh, we were just chatting earlier that I'm, I'm we're doing this recording in wellington i'm in wellington for a seminar tonight so we're we're at tapapa in their theater at tapapa and, and you were sold out at 322 and we sold out yesterday and so you know that that really is a an example of uh, people's willingness to consume this information and the need for it. It's, it's, you know, people are really getting it and they are, yeah, they're really keen to consume this information. And so it's, uh, it's a great pleasure for me to be able to, to help them. Yeah. Do you think that's kind of the majority of the population are ready to consume this? No, I think it's still, yeah, no, it's still very much a, um, your early adopters. So all of yeah. your early adopters, so um, so all your, your early adopters are, are right there. Interestingly enough, it's basically the 20 to 35-year-old people that are doing this. And it's like, you know, so you, your listeners can't hear this, but, you know, here we are drinking kombucha, so you brought around kombucha to, for us to drink. And, you know, this is a perfect example. You know, there's parties, there's keg parties in Auckland now where they have kegs of kombucha. So they don't even drink alcohol because the people don't want to drink alcohol because they know it's it's, it's so it's, it, you know the, the impact of on their liver and how they then feel it affects their life for the next couple of days and they don't want to feel like crap, mm-hmm. and so they they but they still want to have social gatherings and enjoy that that same aspect so they crack open a you know a keg of kombucha, and so you know and so these you know these are these are you know successful people in their twenties and thirties, yeah. and and so it's very much that 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 market that 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 are you know like so tonight. Um, a large percentage of the, uh, of, of the people attending will be will be in that age demographic. So it's the young ones that are you know, young. For me, I'm 44, um, and the young ones that are really uh, taking this on board and 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 doing something about it. Yeah, yeah. What sort of um, what sort of reasons do they give you uh, with the people that come to your seminars for coming? What like what do they want to achieve by by learning this stuff? Um, yeah, for a lot of them, they have. Yeah, specific health issues for themselves. Um, a lot of hormonal imbalance and things like that for women. It's a major problem in the modern world. Um, energy is a big one. You know, a lot of people are just tired. They just, they're just tired the whole time. And so, yeah, they'll, they'll be coming in for, for, for energy reasons, hormonal balance. Um, yeah. And, and for some of them, they, they've seen, they've seen what's happened to the people around them and they don't want that to happen to themselves. And so they've, you know, like, uh, it's not uncommon for people to sort of get diagnosed with IBS, but then it escalates and it starts affecting the whole digestive system. And, and so they, they start seeing that that's happened to a friend or a family member and they sort of go, Oh, it's happening to me. And they want to try and stop that escalation and stop the progression. And so, yeah, that hence they end up coming to a seminar to learn about, you know, diet and lifestyle factors that they can do to make themselves healthier. Mm, yeah. And I mean, I think often, and previously, this is kind of what I thought as well, is that if you're looking to optimize things, then you're, you're kind of like you're, you're a high-level sports person or, or athlete or a high, really high-level anything, basically. Yeah. But, I mean, you can, you can optimize your life from a, a kind of a, a health perspective, regardless of, of where you're Absolutely. Where you're Absolutely, yeah. It is full spectrum. It is uh, so. We have, um, as as you point to there. So you know, we we did the nutrition for the for the tall blacks last year, and and you know, we got all blacks. We had three Olympians at the Olympics. We've got some of the top countries C- CEOs as clients, um, and so that there, you know, these are the people who are really interested in that that optimal performance side. But then we we've literally got you know ninety percent of our clients are going to be literally everyday people. 
just everyday people who are just, you know, that they're just wanting more energy. They're just wanting to sleep better. They're just wanting to feel happier within themselves. Um, they're just wanting to not have gut problems. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it is, it is, it is available to everybody. Yeah. And I mean, you talked a little bit about timeframes before, and we were, I think we were talking about this before we started recording is the, yeah. the importance of those quick wins early on. Yeah. Starting something new. Do you, do you find that the majority of people do see some quick wins with it or is it Yeah. A- no, absolutely and that's exactly what we always try and look for is is um is is for some quick quick wins because mm-hmm. then people they they people just don't get used to how they get used to how they're feeling and so if they if they're feeling tired they just think that's normal. And so if we can do something that gives them more energy straight away then then that gets the momentum and it also then makes it easier to make the diet and lifestyle changes because you know change is tough and and so you know it, it's a mindset change and it takes an effort when you when you make changes to your diet and so if we can get those quick wins early so absolutely yeah we we try and help people get quick wins early often through the symptom side and then and then while we're doing that so clinically we then will go looking for what is the cause of the problem and and then and then start dealing with the cause of the problem so that then you're not having to sort of um, not having to work so hard on the symptom side. Interesting. Um, ben, I mean, with uh, obviously there's there's these early adopters of uh, kind of optimizing people's people's health, um, and there's still a whole lot of people that sort of maybe aren't aware of that. I think is yeah. probably the best way to maybe the best way to describe them. Um, probably the most PC way to describe them. Yeah. Um, but I mean, how do you how do you think we kind of get the information across to, to those guys, or get them to sort of shift their shift their mindset? Because I think if I mean if people's health, the, the majority of people's health continues on in this way, then it's going to obviously be a bit of a rubbish time for yeah. them. But also, it puts massive burdens on the health system and uh, in, in the future and kind of. Um, People's quality of, of life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <clears throat> so BPR um, company I founded. Uh, you know, our, our company mission is to build the future of personalized health, and so that's a, that's a question that as a as an organization we ask ourselves on a, on a on a regular basis. Like, how can we how can we how can we build the future of personalized health? How can we change this? And so we've got a number of strategies around that. Then, and the first strategy is 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 if if we can. <clears throat> start to show that it's more cost effective for prevention than it is for treatment of disease. Um, so I've heard one statistic that the, the, the first year of a diagnosis of a type two diabetes costs thirty thousand dollars. And so if we can if we can protect against somebody from getting type two diabetes, which we, we know we can do by the way, okay, um, if you can mitigate that, the cost saving for the prevention is huge. So currently at the moment we have insurance companies, we're talking to insurance companies about um, for people who are doing our programs, they'll have a lower premium because they're actually, it's actually more cost effective for the insurance company um, for health insurance um, to have somebody who's healthier than somebody who's not. And so, and so what, so that's, that's the first stage. And then the second stage is as the government starts realizing um, the, the, the and, and start struggle to pay for the current cost of our medical system, which is obviously an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff for, regarding chronic health. Um, 
you know, they're, they're hopefully then we'll start looking around for an alternative. And, and obviously, you know, when you start looking at that, the diet and lifestyle factors are, are, you know, a, a wonderfully cheap, effective way to reduce the cost of the medical system. And so that, that's one, you know, couple of strategies there. And then another strategy is, is, you know, for us, I've always wanted to help a lot of people, um, in New Zealand and, and I think, you know, a TV show. I think, you know, that's, that's, you know, I know a lot of people aren't necessarily consuming TV like they used to, but, but a lot of those, not the non early adopters, they are still consuming TV shows. Um, and, and so I think a, a TV show where we really push this information into mainstream and educate and empower people around just, just the sugar thing. I mean, if you just focused on sugar alone, if we could just reduce our sugar consumption as a nation, I think that the, the health improvement and impact of that would be huge and so um so yeah so and those those are sort of all on the all on the table of things we're working towards to to try and uh yeah make it available to everybody yeah so we'll be seeing Ben Warren on tv soon <laughs> maybe maybe yeah we, we we'll see we'll see i mean that's it's it's on the table but um a lot of water to go under the bridge there so we'll see yeah yeah awesome um ben i want to I want to kind of come back to you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you mentioned you you mentioned you're pretty uh, you're 44, mm-hmm. um, and you you obviously you look great. <laughs> Thank you, look, you. You don't look 44. Um, couple of couple of silvers. In yeah, there, yeah, yeah. Got uh, some uh, got some genetics coming through. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is that probably hard to stop. Yeah, found a way. No, I, I think I may have delayed them. It's interesting. Uh, so my mum went grey at thirty, and yeah. so um, and then she's kind of like got nine nine brothers, half brothers, and they all went bald by twenty three. So me and my brother, as a kid, so we were always like, "Ah, oh, it's going to be you, buddy." And we go, so we we both got our hair, which is good, but we do have our mum's jeans, which we we we've both gone grey pretty early, so um, which is fine. So yeah, I haven't. Uh, yeah, and so that's just you know enzyme pathways turn off as you age, and that's uh, and and that's part of the aging process. But what you can do is upregulate those enzymes um, to a degree and have them and have them have them work better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, well, that was kind of that preamble was a bit of a lead into sort of the, the next question that I was going to ask you. Um, and you, you said that you're kind of consistently tweaking. Yeah. What what you do and yeah and kind of continually experimenting on yeah. yourself with with your health. Absolutely. Right? If you kind of had your your perfect week at the moment, I yeah, don't want to go a day a day is too too short a period sure. of time. But the perfect week from from kind of a health point of view, what sort of big things would you want to be hitting and what I'd be doing? Yeah, in, in over the course of that week to keep yourself healthy. That's a great question. Um, obviously, diet, and so diets diets number one is just eating you know really high quality. Um, high quality food so uh, i live on a permaculture 15 acre permaculture designed organic nutrient dense farm where we grow about 80 percent of the food we eat and so when i'm at home you know the food's phenomenal and my wife's an incredible cook and so you know it's going to definitely eating really good food in a relaxed environment uh, and that's you know it's huge and then um some exercise has got to be in there you know exercise has definitely got to be in there around um so for me it, it, it's going to be surfing. I like surfing. And so, you know, some surfing, some good stretching sessions, um, you know, maybe a, a, a gym session or two, maybe a bike ride or something like that. So exercise is, is a, a side that I always, um, well, I, I like, I like 
I like my work so much that I'd rather work than exercise. And so that's, that's a challenge for me. Uh, and so, um, so for me, it's trying to build it into my daily life. So when I'm, when I'm at, when I'm working in the clinic, it's pretty, it's pretty easy. I can cycle into work. It's 20 Ks away from, from where I live and, and bits and pieces like that. So yeah, definitely be some exercise in there. Um, some, some, some sort of, um, family times huge. You know, I think for me, that puts a lot of, um, uh, and it's tough, a lot of energy in the system that the, the, the Chinese medical, the Chinese system has a, some nice words to describe some of this stuff. So they talk about Jing. And so Jing is like your energy that you have in your savings account. And then Qi is like your, your, um, Qi is like your, um, your daily account for energy. And so you've got to be able to put some Jing back in, back in the system, you know, so you've got to be able to put some deep energy back in the system. And for me, you know, spending time relaxing with the family on the farms just, you know, puts a lot of energy back into the system so then I can come back out into the world and, and, you know, do seminars that are obviously putting out a lot of energy. So, um, yeah, those factors, just drinking high quality water, crazy basic thing but yeah just drinking lots of high i i, I missed uh, i i drink a lot of a uh, very alkaline ionized water at home and uh, we 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 you know i don't i don't drink tap water when i travel but even then drinking quality water when you travel can be can be difficult it's a challenge mm-hmm. so it's something just as basic as that um it, yeah it's huge good quality sleep massive again Okay, getting good quality sleep is huge, and and so these are again the challenges of being on the road. You've got different beds, different noises, different environments, um, and so yeah, so it, it is much easier um, once you get into a routine of these things. Um, so yeah, those those sort those sort of aspects. I used to be, um, you you know, doing used to do quite a bit of meditation and things like that. Um, these days, I, I I'm, I'm trying to integrate the meditation into my daily life, which is which is difficult um uh but yeah so how, how are you trying to integrate it well um so basically theoretically you know when for anyone who's done a lot of meditation you can you can really reach a, a i guess a deeply blissful state and i call it blissing out and um but but then you only really touch that place when you're meditating and um and so what i'm what i've been working on for the last number of years is trying to be in that space all the time mm. And so it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're in that space. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it looks like. It's really just bringing that, that feeling of connection and feeling of love and, and feeling of gratefulness to, to every moment in your day, which is obviously very difficult to do. <laughs> because, you know, somebody, somebody pulls out in front of you in a, in, in a car at the roundabout. <laughs> Where's the love connection and gratefulness then? Um, you know, so. Um, so it's, but it's, it's trying to, you know, nurture those feelings that you get from being in that deeply relaxed state of meditation and trying to bring that, um, into, into your daily life. Mm. How are you going with that at the moment? <laughs> ups and downs. <laughs> yeah. Ups and downs. Um, yeah, like, I think, um, I think in general, um, in general, not too bad. I think in general, pretty good. Uh, it was in, Jack said to me yesterday, he's, he's my event manager and, uh, he's like, Oh, you, you never seem to get rattled. You never seem to get angry or, or anything like that. So we spend a lot of time, you know, we spend probably 50, 60 hours a week together when we're on the road. And so I was like, Oh, well, that's good. That's a good sign. That means that maybe, maybe I, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe I'm bringing some of this mindfulness to my daily life, which is good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I mean, that's obviously the ideal week for you, and and it it's more challenging, sort of being out on the road, and and you do have ups and downs. I mean, that's uh, you have you have good days and bad days. Yeah, that's life. Anything. Yeah. 
Um, does it does it frustrate you when you have those bad days? When you like, man, I could have I could have been so much healthier um, if I if I'd made these slightly different choices or done these um, things. Were you quite accepting that? Hey, yeah. It's the- okay to yeah, yeah. These days, I'm much more accepting. And so, when I first originally, originally tra- retrained in nutrition, I was anal. I was like, um, I'd, yeah, I was so anal. Um, like, like not a gram of refined sugar passed my lips for a number of years. Like, um, like I wouldn't have kombucha because of the sugar content. Um, and so, uh, it was really, really hardcore. And that's that. I believe that was more stressful than actually eating the wrong food. And so these days I'm, I'm a lot more relaxed and I, I, I'm, yeah, these days I, I'm just like, I just tend to go, go with it. So yeah, I don't, don't tend to sort of be too anal around it now. Um, and you know, life, life come, life comes at you uh, and like we live, we live on a farm and we've got a, we've got a, a you know, a, a parasite in the background of, of the farm within the water. And so it's a parasite that, you know, we've all picked up at, at one time or another through the family. And so, you know, once you get a gut parasite, then you've got to go and do a lot of work on your gut and, and, and heal it. And I mean, certainly I, 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 I don't have any um, direct symptoms of that. Um, but there's challenges. Uh, the only difference is that I know about them. Uh, and so a lot of people won't even, you know, the, they won't even know that these things are going on and they'll just wonder why they're gaining weight or, or things like that. Whereas for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, I picked up a parasite. I, I do, you know, I do stool, t- I do a lot of testing on myself. So I do a lot of stool testing on myself and, and a lot of parasitology testing, a lot of immune testing, a lot of full blood work. So, um, I just, just spent a thousand dollars on blood work, you know, 10 days ago, just, just to have a look, see just just kind of for fun and so i don't um yeah so so i can see everything that's going on uh, and and things change and uh and then hopefully you can mitigate them and get on top of them um before they become a problem and that's yeah that that's invariably uh what i've been able to do so far and and sort of maintain you know very high function um despite of of health challenges i've got major genetic limitations so I've, I've, i know all my all, all my genetics i know where all my genetic risk factors are so theoretically i know what i'm going to die from and then you can look to try and mitigate that um to try and uh, so heart disease is going to be it for me um most likely if i can avoid that then i'm going to be uh, doing pretty well so my brother had a heart attack quadruple bypass at 39 um and so then i ran all my genetics and um yeah, well, I mean, genetically, uh, heart disease is, is a major risk for me. So then I, I obviously go about doing a bunch of things to, to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and then I, I get calcium scan scores of my heart so I can actually see how much calcification I have around my heart. So I know exactly if I'm sliding into a risk area and, and I can see actually whether if what I'm doing is working or not. So, you know, my last calcium scan score was, you know, clear. And so, you know, I haven't got any calcification around my heart right now. So um, we'll just keep going forward and, and keep monitoring it and, and then see what happens. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. For the people that... Uh, kind of on the edge of wanting to to change their health and they're starting to think about this but they yeah. haven't they haven't kind of dipped their toes in the water sure. with it yet what are like a couple of of tips that you can give them to maybe sort of start on that journey yeah in a relatively free-ish way okay um, and kind of why why are they important why, why okay are they those tips 
My gosh, where would you start? <laughs> so you got to understand, I'm hardcore. So usually yeah. that's a really hard question for me to answer because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll sort of be like, um, like I'd I'd be like going, oh, just jump in and do a do a, you know do a clean eating program or yeah, you know, paleo challenge or something like that. You know, like just to. But um, the first thing I'd recommend for people probably would be to. And this is for for some people, this is a huge undertaking, and I completely get that, but would be to go gluten free. Okay. And so gluten's a protein, obviously, that's found in wheat, barley, and rye. And for, for, it's inflammatory for everybody. So the research shows that it causes inflammation in everybody. So it causes aches and pains in everybody. Um, but it's driving a lot of gut issues for people. And, um, and then that's really affecting knock on effect on their, on their energy, daytime energy, obviously their aches and pains, uh, the whole hormonal system. And so I think if they, if they could go gluten free for a period of time, most people would see a benefit. Um, they'd see increase in energy. They would see, um, maybe a decrease in aches and pains. They'd see probably an improvement in their gut health and, you know, better bowel movements, um, not so much bloating, maybe not so much acid reflux, heartburn. And so I, yeah, I would, <clears throat> really look to go ahead and go gluten free as much as uh, as much as possible. That would be uh, one one thing for people to to be aware of. Um, then probably number two would be. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of funny when you start layering these things up; they actually become hard for a lot of people. And so it would be you know moving away from processed refined sugar, uh, and and so we're literally overwhelming our body's capacity to deal with glucose within the blood because of the amount of simple carbohydrates and sugars that we're eating in the Western world. And this is really, you know, a reflection in our type two diabetes rates. And so, <clears throat> and so, uh, yeah, I'd be looking to move away from processed refined sugars as much as possible as well. What would you suggest people replace them with? Okay. So yeah. Um, that's a good question. Uh, with the bread, I'd replace it with vegetables, uh, and maybe some kumra um, would be would be good. And so, in, yeah, I know that's kind of like for a lot of people be listening, going, "Well, that's kind of weird." How do you? How am I going to make jam with my kumra? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sugar on sugar yeah. on the <laughs> Yeah, I like it. And so, um, so yeah, you really want to be replacing it with some other high quality, higher quality carbohydrates like vegetables, kumra, fruit. Um, and then regarding the sugar, um, it's really, you know, sugar is just really an addition that a lot of people add. So if they're ha- having sugar in their tea or their coffee, you know, it's just it's having two sugars, cut down to one sugar, then cut down to none. Um, and then really just trying to move away from consuming sugars as a, as a, you know, trying to move to natural whole foods that make us feel full the longest. So natural whole foods. Um, so that could be... Um, Chicken drumsticks, um, raw nuts, you know, looking at these proteins and fats rather than relying on these simple carbohydrates. Mm, yeah. And I think it's, I mean, it's interesting how quickly your body adapts to that as well. Um, mm. I, I was saying to you that my, my diet's changed kind of quite considerably in the last, uh, over the last couple of years from eating, yeah, a lot of processed, uh, processed food and, um, now, I mean, predominantly, uh, we we don't eat huge amounts of meat at yep. home as well. Um, and I hadn't had chicken for like probably six months, I think. And I used to really love chicken. Right. And then I ate chicken the other day, and I was I ate it, and I was like, oh, this almost tastes a little bit gross. Right. And it's just kind of the the body adapting and probably as you were saying, the the kind of bacterial adaptations from your biome. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. And, and how your body responds to things. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. Your, your body will adapt to whatever you're eating, and particularly, the, you know, with the with the gut bacteria and and with the biome, it, it is going to be a complete reflection of what you've been eating, and you'll 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 shift the bacterial levels different ways. And this is why sugar is such a problem, and this is why you know simple carbohydrates are such a problem because they're feeding these pathogenic strains of bacteria, which for most of us we probably you know we probably all have some strains of pathogenic and unfriendly yeasts. But what happens is when you start feeding them simple sugars is that they start growing and getting, you get overgrowths. And then that, that can then cause a lot of immune dysfunction and, and drive, um, and, you know, can, can even drive autoimmune diseases. And so, yeah, it's, it's a major contributing factor. Yeah. Ben, I mean, are, are there any great resources out there for people to learn more about the stuff that we've been talking about or about the, the, the uh, microbiome yeah. bacteria. There's it, it's really tough actually, um, and this is one of the major problems we're finding is that there's no one source that's really putting this stuff together. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it, it is really tough. I'm I'm a huge fan of, of 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 you know for people who want to know more about whole foods and this way of eating, like the Western A Price Foundation. It's it's a, a really nice resource. Um, when you start looking at the gut side, uh, Natasha Campbell McBride and the Gut and Psychology Syndrome Gaps Diet and, and book is very very good. Obviously, you got Mark Sisson, uh, Lauren Cordain, and so these are more people in the in the paleo space and looking at sort of more like these caveman, caveman paleolithic type diets. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely, you know, you, th- those sort of places are going to be, um, great places to start looking at and getting an understanding. And at the, at the end of the day, I, I recommend to people just to, to go with what resonates with them. So if something, you know, if something, if you read something and you go, oh, that, that, that really feels good and feels right, go do it and, and see. And your body will tell you, you start listening to your body. It's like yourself because you've, you know, you've, you found that the diet you're eating now is obviously working for you pretty well. And, and, and that's great. And that's what it's about. You know, we're all different. We've just got to find what works for us on a, on an individual level. It's personalized nutrition. Like we're, we're all different. Yeah. Yeah. The scones for morning tea probably don't help that much though for me. Unfortunately. <laughs> they are quite yeah. Yeah. A little bit of inflammation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can live with it at the moment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to be training for an ultra marathon uh, later in the year. So be, wow. Uh, I might, I might have a have a bit of a play with that actually in terms of the of eating scones and not eating scones and uh, <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, and, yeah. Feedback to everyone. Um, I'm guessing that I'll probably improve actually if I when I, when I stop. Um, then obviously I'm mindful of the of the time and kind of uh, taking taking you up too much. No, it's all good. But I want to I want to ask you a couple of questions that I ask everybody. Sure. And, um, and I think I, I think I emailed them through to you. Right? Yeah, I, I had a look at them and, yeah. and and I was like, well, I'll answer them on the day yeah, because uh, then that way, that way it's uh, comes out fresh. The, yeah, the, I don't like people that prep too much. I've had pull out notes. <laughs> oh yeah, um, okay. Yeah. Um, so the first one is, can you tell me about a time that you failed and what you learned from it? Um, yeah, a, a time that I found, I, I probably had a, a, oh my gosh, there's, there's, I think every time you fail, um, you learn a lot. It's interesting. One of my first experiences, um, was at university. Uh, so I was, you know, freshman, I'd gone over to the States, um, and I'm in psychology 101 and, um, 
Dr. Callan came out. Dr. Callan's one of the top behavioral psychologists uh, in the world. And he comes out and he's in this big psychology one. He's in the big, this big auditorium and, um, you know, like three, four hundred students. And he comes out and he's got like, he looks like a rat, which is kind of funny because he's a behavioral psychologist. And he does a lot of studies with rats and he's got like leather patches on his elbows, you know, and he stands up there in a South Carolina accent, which I can't do now. And, uh, he goes, um, welcome to psychology 101. I just want to tell you that, um, you cannot fail this class. And I was like, oh, he goes, yeah, if you, if you don't get a passing grade, you can just retake it next semester. (laughs) And, and, and so that's always stuck with me. So I've always looked at failure as, as a, as an opportunity to learn. Uh, and so my, my greatest failure probably was my greatest success and my greatest failure was as a golfer. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I missed my tour card by a shot, um, which as at the time, as you can imagine, is absolutely devastating. You know, it's like you know, a decade's worth of practice to go to tour school and then literally miss your tour card by a shot. And, um, yeah, it was devastating, but that led me to then become a professional golf coach, which then led me to have to learn about my back and which led me to, um, nutrition. And now I look at that and I'm so thankful because I, you know, I may not be here today if I hadn't learned that about my nutrition because I, you know, probably would have just fallen over with a heart attack, um, even, even, at, you know, maybe at 44. So, um, so yeah, probably my greatest failing was, was, so I, I look at failure as a, as an opportunity to then succeed. Um, and so, yeah, so I always remember Dr. Cullen as you can't fail while you're still trying, you cannot fail. And so why you, you know, while you're still trying to improve your health, you can't fail with your health because you, it's only when you stop trying have you failed. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome way to look at it actually, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's it, it's difficult in the time uh, to kind of really wrap your head around failure. But um, and obviously you were saying that when you when you missed your tour card, it, it was devastating. Yeah, kind of looking back on it now. Yeah. The, the best thing that's that's happened to you. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's, it led me led me to um, you know what I'm doing today, and and uh, I'm very thankful to have found this path. Mm-hmm. Ben, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did, and how did you get through it? Um, <laughs> it was probably the, the the biggest, most uncomfortable thing I've done most recently w- would have been I did. I was doing a personal growth course, and personal growth courses often they challenge you to do uncomfortable things, and so I I ended up. Um, I ended up basically where I created a superhero called Captain Healthy and I, I got a custom made um, superhero suit and I went into kindergartens as Captain Healthy and taught the kids, you know, the benefits of eating fruits and vegetables. And that was the most uncomfortable and frightening thing I've done in my life because, you know, walking into a kindergarten with, you know, 34 year olds and, and they, they, and they literally just come running at you. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was, that was, uh, incredibly uncomfortable to take on this superhero persona. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, yeah. So how did I get, how did I get through it? Um, well, I'd made a commitment. I told people I was going to do it. And so I, I recommend doing that. So I recommend if you, if you're doing something that you, that, um, is uncomfortable and you have doubts about whether you're going to follow through on it, tell as many people as possible that you're going to do it because then you've got a higher degree of accountability. And so they're going to hold you accountable to it. So we say means you have to do it. And, and often, um, often when you, often when you then do it, you sort of go, Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. We just build up a story in our head, right? That it's scary. So, um, yeah, so that was probably most recently one of the most uncomfortable yeah. things. Yeah. Interesting. I love your point on accountability there and, and yeah, telling, telling people. So yeah, you almost have to follow. You do. 
You do. One, one thing I want to ask you about that, actually, do you think it was harder going in there as Captain Healthy or compared to, say, if you'd gone in there as Ben Warren? Oh, as Ben Warren, it's easy. I do that on a daily level. I mean, like tonight, obviously going, you know, talking to 300 people and people, so do you get nervous? I, you know, I, don't, I don't get nervous. I, I, I just have to be me and, and that's good. But when you're trying to be something other than you, uh, it was, yeah, I, I just found it um, yeah, very scary. And even now, like my, my youngest daughter's six, she, she, she wants me to go into do, do one with her school. And I'm like, I'm trying to put it off because <laughs> it's still scary, even though I've done it before. And so, um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, the reason that I ask you about that is I was at a uh, public speaking seminar uh, a couple of weeks ago, and Michelle Dickinson was talking there, Nano Girl. Oh yeah, um, and she's reasonably introverted, and she felt that she couldn't get up there as Michelle Dickinson. Right. But creating this this Nano Girl persona allowed her to step into that. Wow. And actually. Uh, get up in front of people and speak and give talks and nice and kind of yeah and so she found what works for her yeah, yeah that's yeah. brilliant and I guess that's it you've got to just find that mindset that that empowers you and moves you forward mm. yeah yeah I, was, I, I found that fascinating actually what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you well probably the next uncomfortable thing is it's probably going to be this weekend I've just uh I heard this morning there's some big waves coming and 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 so uh, a couple of friends of mine are really good surfers and and so I go out surfing with them and um yeah we're probably going to go to a, a you know a remote spot in Hawke's Bay where where the waves are going to be really big and really scary and so that's going to be really uncomfortable and um yeah uh, and so I'm already a little nervous about it <laughs> and so but yeah we'll go out go out and have a paddle and and see if I can catch some big waves and so um yeah, so that, that that's that's coming up this weekend. You can probably already tell in my voice I'm like nervous about it. And so um yeah, so um yeah, so some big wave surfing. Yeah, cool. <laughs> uh Ben, I've got a couple more questions for you, but uh, first of all I just wanna say thank you very much for your time today. No, no, you're welcome, Chris. Awesome thank you. And have a chat with you. But also thank you as well for learning all this stuff that you've been learning and then disseminating the knowledge that you have to people in a way that is understandable cool thank you and just kind of having everyone have to go out and read scientific research articles which is pretty dry at times yeah i'm impressed that you get through 10 a day yeah yeah you're welcome chris and and for me it's it's interesting Uh, i've got a very basic brain and i have to be able to understand something for me to be able to remember it and so and I think that's, and so that's, that comes through as a real benefit because then when I try and retell people, I have to be able to understand it in order to be able to remember it. And so it just kind of, it comes out more basic. Uh, and so I guess that's sort of um, a lucky skill, the way that my brain works. And so I'm able to, to, to help people and distill this information down into, into consumable, matter, consumable bites. <laughs> cool. um, so the next question is one's pretty straightforward. The other one's a bit more meta. Mm-hmm. The first one is if people want to learn more about the stuff that you're doing, find out a little bit more about their health story, sure. where, the, where should they go? How can they support you? Yeah, best best way to go is just go to the BPure website, B-E-P-U-R-E.co.nz. And uh, if you click on, um, I think we're going to have it up shortly, but there, there'll be, you know, what's my health story? And you'll they'll actually be able to fill out a questionnaire online. And then, and, and, and from that questionnaire, uh, they'll be able to see different areas or sections within their body and organ systems that are 
working well and areas that perhaps aren't working as well as they they would like and and then from there we can then start guiding them as to the information they need to start applying to start improving those organ systems so yeah so bpu.co.nz is a good place to start cool yeah and i've done i'm coming to the talk tonight so i've done cool i've done the uh, health survey already I came up with mild for everything. Nice. Is there anything that, below mild? That's good though. Mild's yeah, good. Perfect. Mild's okay, good. Cool. Yeah, cool. Not surprising looking at you. Yeah, you're looking in good shape. Uh, so. I probably optimize, uh, optimize a bit more. Maybe those scones are down for. The last question, though, the one that's a bit more meta, is do you have any advice or life lessons or interesting facts to leave us with today? Advice, life lessons, or interesting facts? You could do all three if you want. <laughs> okay. Um, my gosh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I don't, oh my gosh, I would, I would probably go with, um, follow what makes you feel good. And that's a really strange answer, but, um, if it makes you feel good, then, then that's generally a good sign that, that that's what you should be doing. And so I, I've been lucky. I've always, um, I've never worked a day in my life because I've just always done what I've loved. And so, you, and, and, and so, you know, as a golfer, I loved golf and then I loved teaching golf. And so and I've never worked a day in my life. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think if people just follow what makes them feel good, I think it kind of works out in the end. And, and so, yeah, just do what makes you feel good. And that's the same with nutrition. If, if nutrition makes you feel good, um, you know, eating certain ways, that, that, that's a, that, that's a good start. Yeah, and so because uh, if if your life then ends up you feel good the whole time, that's got to be pretty good. <laughs> and so it's yeah, it's uh, so you asked a big question, and that's kind of like a big that's answer. A, that's, a big answer. <laughs> that's a great answer, I think. Ben, thank you very much. For no, being yep. with me today. <laughs> I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks very much. There you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed Ben and my chat today. Uh, you may have noticed that my mic was a little bit quiet, uh, but that's probably all right because Ben was the one that was uh, dropping all the knowledge there. Now, I just want to—I just want to leave you with his point about following what makes you feel good as well, um, especially in regards to nutrition. That's something that I've found over the last couple of years is that often I didn't know how rubbish I felt when I was eating rubbish food um, and it's not until you start sort of uh, experimenting a little bit with with cutting out the the crap and eating eating a bit healthier that you actually find that you just feel so much better uh, and I think that that relates to a lot of other parts of your life as well so thanks for spending some time with us today Again, if you got anything out of it, make sure that you uh, that you leave a comment, that you like it, that you share it out so that other people can enjoy it as well. Um, and as always, thanks to my talented little brother, Jeremy Desmond, for the, the fantastic theme music. Um, we've got a couple of really cool podcasts coming up in the, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, next week with uh, Noah Wolfe and the following week with uh, Christian Smith. So... I hope we see you guys back for them. Uh, have a great uncomfortable week.